Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. I've asked some particular people to come and share something tonight. We're going to do a little lineup of preachers, uh, which we haven't got to do in quite a while. So it is my privilege to call on Mrs. Crystal Hexamer to come and get this thing started. Man, it is so good to be in the corporate body, to be here together. I will never again take for granted being in the house of the Lord with all of you. There is power here. His presence is here. Praise and worship is amazing. And I just feel so blessed to be a part of his family and be here with you. Well, I came tonight with a battle cry and a battle plan from the Lord. God has a plan for this time, for this hour. This is one of the greatest times to be alive. I know that it looks dark out there. I know that there's a lot of strife. I know that you've had a lot of struggles. I know that they just keep coming. But his glory shines brightest in the darkness. And I believe that he is setting us up for the biggest revival of our time. That he is preparing the hearts of men to receive what only God can give. And he has put you in this time and in this place. He has prepared you and you are here for a reason. You have a purpose and a plan. And he's given us a battle plan. He, you know, he tells us to be strong and put on our armor. He tells us to watch out for traps, and he says to stand our ground. As Christians, we face three enemies. The world, the system that we live in, the flesh, your old nature, and of course the devil. That's self-explanatory. <laughs> Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil. And as believers, you fight from victory. You don't have to go get it yourself. Jesus did that for you. The Spirit of God enables us by faith to appropriate Christ's victory for ourselves. I've been reading the book of Ephesians, and that's, I just have a few scriptures there, but I just love it. It's so powerful. The first three chapters in Ephesians, the, uh, Paul is telling us all that we have in Christ. And the last three is what we're supposed to do with all we have in Christ. It's powerful. I love all his military analogies too, and he loves to use them. If you want to read more, it's in Galatians, it's in Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, but he's letting us know, hey, you're at war, here's our battle plan. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, and let's start with verse 10. Oops, I'm not prepared. Finally, my brethren, let's start with 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Be strong in the Lord, not be strong in crystal. Not in my might. I'm not that mighty, <laughs> but he is mighty. Well, how do you do that? You know who he is. You know who you are, and you know what the word says about you. So believe the Lord wants you to look out into your future and prophesy good things. Believe that there are still good things on the other side of all of these things. Put on your Christ clothes. Put on those armor. Remember who you are. This 
is your hour. And he says, watch for traps. Let's look at verse 7. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He wants you to know who your enemy is. How many of you know that in a war, intel is crucial? You want to know who your enemy is, what they're after, and how to defeat them. And the Word of God gives us that. We don't have to go looking at other places. We can just look into the Word. He prepares us for that. He prepares us for what's happening. He's a deceiver. He's a divider. He's a liar. He's the author of confusion. He wants to steal your identity. Your problem is not with the people around you in this world. Your problem is with the enemy of God. And he, most temptations revolve around misusing and abusing the revelation of God for your own devices. That's what the devil does. He uses it for his own narrative. Some politicians maybe use it for their own narrative just to give you an example of how that works. I'll just leave that there. Um, (laughs) So his word tells us who the enemy is. The world does not change God, doesn't interpret God. God interprets the world. God spoke the world into existence. What's happening in the world doesn't affect who God is. He is still the same. The world is ever-changing. It's crazy out there. God is unaffected, unintimidated. Unintimidated. Thank you, Father. No political party, no organization, no person, no amount of knowledge is going to be the remedy for what the world needs. Only God, the Creator, can do that. I'm not saying don't love. I'm not saying don't listen. I'm not saying don't reach out. I'm not saying don't vote. Please, God, vote. But you cannot solve the problem at the same level of awareness as it was created. Only the Creator can fix the problem with mankind. We cannot mandate morals. We cannot legislate love. If it were so, the Ten Commandments would have worked out, but they didn't, did they? We needed Jesus. We needed Jesus then. We need Jesus now. And we will always need Jesus. He was the answer then. He is the answer now. And he will always be the answer. The enemy wants to take you out on his way out. And the Lord wants you to be ready. So what do we do? We stand our ground. Let's finish up with verse 13. If I can read it. 13, where are you? There it is. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all. To stand. Now, I don't know about you, but when I picture a battle, it's always very epic in my head. There's two hills, and they come soaring down toward each other in a valley, and someone's yelling, like, freedom, or, I don't know, charge, or something like that. And it's like Clash of the Titans, and the victor takes the crown. But here, in this passage, if we include verse 14, the first part of it, Paul tells us to stand four times. That seems a little weird. It's like, that's not very active. Um, so how does that work? I mean, so I began to ask the Lord, well, spiritual warfare is standing in what God has given you. We don't have to charge out on the battlefield and grab that victor's crown. Christ has already done that. We need to stand and guard what we have been given. 
We need to learn from Adam and Eve. Don't give your dominion away. Don't give your power away. Don't give your identity away. Don't give your garden away. Do not be swayed by the world's view or the current events. The battle has been won. We are more than conquerors, Romans 8.37 says. There is a Roman historian, and his name is Vetuses. That's how you say it in Latin. I try to say the English one. I'll just spell it for you. It's V-E-G-E-T-I-T-U-S. Vegetitus? I don't know. Anyway, he, he was the Roman equivalent. He wrote the Roman equivalent of, like, the art of war. He was a military strategist and a historian, and he tells of a Roman strategy where there were 16 men and they would stand in a 36-foot square space. That's about six feet apart. That's a Don Hexamer link apart. Stand up, baby, so you can see. Don Hexamer link apart. (laughs) And and they were trained to do one thing and one thing only, and that is protect their six feet. Do not let the enemy soldier into their six-feet area. And it was extremely effective. That seems easy, right? And it was, and it was very effective. In fact, it was recorded that they could, those 16 men could hold off up to 500 men just by taking care of their area. So we need to think about spiritual warfare the same way. When we look at what is wrong in the world, it can be overwhelming. There's so many problems. There's so much division. It's just pure evil sometimes. And I ask myself sometimes, what can one person do against all that? And the answer is, we can stand our ground. That's what he commands us to do. When the enemy enters your area, when the enemy attacks your family, attacks your church, attacks your friend, attacks your neighborhood, your community, your thoughts, your actions, your resources, stand your ground. Remember who you are. Do not be tricked by the tricks of the enemy. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are the answer that the world needs today. You are prepared for what you are facing. Nothing is greater than the spirit that lives on the inside of you. Stand your ground. Wow, now that's getting it started, isn't it? Stand your ground. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Crystal. That was powerful. Pastor Alex Ammons. All right. Good evening, everybody. I'm going to jump right in and tell you tonight that I want to tell you that grace came first. Grace came first. Now, you hear the joke about what came first, the egg or the chicken, and, you know, it, it's all funny. I'll read your Bible, it was a chicken. But the, the point is, there was this, this, this question of there's always got to be something that comes first, right? And uh, understanding that grace is the, the most important thing, that it's, it's the foundation, that having grace in your life, receiving the grace of God, that actually frees you up to live a life for God. It frees you up to live a holy and a righteous life, but it, it starts with grace. Uh, we're going to look at, at the story of Abraham real quick from Romans chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And so bear with me just for a second, and we'll recap and explain this. But it's talking about Abraham, and, it, and Paul says, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? 
Was it while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believed, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Okay, bear with me. I know that was a lot. That seemed really repetitive, and you might have no idea what I just read. But let me just recap a little bit. Circumcision represented a covenant between God and man, and it was based upon holy living and, and performing uh, the, the, law, the, the law of Moses that God had given them, okay? So that's what this was. But what, what Paul's doing is he, he's looking at the life of Abraham, and he's trying to show us that, no, Abraham was righteous first by faith. And, and that sign of holy living came later on. That came from a place of his righteousness by faith. Okay, so faith and, and righteousness, that's the foundation. That's where this thing starts. Righteousness, again, comes by faith first. And then a holy life, uh, living a holy life will follow. And that, now I'm going to cite Romans 2.4 real quick. This is a, a verse that I, I quote a lot because it's just, it's so good. And it, he says that, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Okay, so again, we've got the goodness of God first, and then repentance follows, or changing the way you think, or changing the way you live. All right, so it's, it's all coming down to first, you got to have faith. You got to receive the grace and the salvation that Christ died for you to have. Now, now listen to me. If, if you were arrested for a crime that you committed, and you were put into jail, all right, you would not have the ability to choose how to live your life. You would not have the ability to make your own decisions because you would not be free. And you would not be able to make your own decisions until somebody let you go or set you free, right? You see, you had no ability. You could not, uh, you could not earn God's righteousness. You could not live a perfect life. It, it took Christ dying for your sins so that you could then be changed, so you could become a new creation, so then you could live a holy life. But it starts by receiving the grace of God. And so I just want to tell you today that if you're having trouble living for God, if you're, if you're having trouble doing the right thing, if you're having trouble living a holy life, if, if maybe you're caught up on an addiction or a bad habit or uh, uh, just, just negative habits in your life, I want to tell you to start receiving the grace of God in your life because that's where it begins. And when you can learn to receive that through faith, then your life will begin to, to change. It will then empower you to live a changed life to live a good life, to live a holy life. Accept the fact that you can't earn the grace of God. You first just have to receive it, and then you can live that good life out. You'll then find the strength and the power to change because now you're relying on God and not yourself. And so a lot of people struggle with this idea of, of well, when do I show grace and when do I lay down the law? Like, there's a lot of people that try to balance this out, and I'm telling you, there is no balance. All right, it starts with grace. It all comes back to grace. There's always got to be grace. You've got to live your life from a standpoint of grace. And do people need correction? Absolutely. You know, God brings correction. It says that in Hebrew. It says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. 
but it's whom he loves. It's coming from a place of love because that's where it's got to start. And so if you want your life to change, if you want somebody else's life to change, well, first of all, it's not your job to do that. Your job is to share the love of God, and that's what will change people and change lives. And I, I, hope, that, I hope that you bring correction and discipline to your children and, and you know, to people who you love, but always make sure that it's coming from a place of grace, not anger or frustration, but it's coming from that place of love because it's that love, it's the goodness of God that changes people. So that was just something I've been thinking about the last couple of days, and I hope that challenges you a little bit. Uh, so thanks for hearing me out. Good work. Grace came first. Stand your ground. Grace came first. Yeah. That's good. Where is Ashley Tambourine? Come up here, girl. Give Ashley a big hand. <laughs> oh, man, I'm excited. I'm so grateful to be up here tonight sharing with you guys. And I know typically I am a little bit of a perfectionist, and I want to bring a really articulated word to you. But I wanted to speak from the heart tonight, and I wanted to... This is actually where face ID is a little hard. You're preaching your message, and you're like, hold on. But I just wanted to talk to you about some of the things going on in my own life and some of the things I feel like God is telling me. And I faced, just like I'm sure all of you did coming to church tonight, just faced a lot of adversity this week. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's just like inundating constantly. And we live in such a turbulent and changing world all the time. It seems like something new is coming down the pike and happening. And the first thing I want to tell you is that just in agreement with what Pastor said on Sunday, which is because we have seen um, the enemy attack our world and really think that he has won, the glory of God is going to rain down rain down on him. And I want to tell you that each and every person in this room will have divine opportunities like crazy to share the word. You're going to have people coming to you and you're going to be like, another person? What is this? And I'm telling you, just like the word was about just miracles and healing and things flowing through you, you're not going to have to do much. It is just going to be from a mustard seed of faith that you will stretch out your hand and say, I'll pray and God will do it because it's not you. And so the analogy that God gave me was kind of like, have any of you guys seen the experiment with Coca-Cola and chlorine? Uh, he told me that, uh, and this is a little bit humbling now that I'm saying this out loud, haven't thought this one through, um, is that he's like, Ashley, what you are going to bring to the table is about 10%. I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, but uh, the rest is going to be me, 90%. It doesn't have to make sense, people, why we're blessed. It doesn't have to make sense about the abundance of God. It doesn't even have to make sense. We don't have to have some perfect articulated word for God to move or for you to raise the dead or for you to do something divine and have divine healing and miracles and awesomeness. Thank you, daughter. She's like, what, what? <laughs> and so I actually sent Brooke a, um, an illustration. I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but I just, it's, I just wanted to show you what Coke looks like when it's mixed with chlorine because God showed me in my heart this is what's going to happen to the body of Christ. It's going to be Coca-Cola, and then he is going to be the chlorine. Doesn't look like much is happening. Just kidding. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's funny because I actually learned that lesson the hard way with my dad, who was like the pool guy growing up. 
my stepdad. And, you know, we'd have Cokes out there. He'd be like, don't get those near the back. You know, I'd be like, why? You know, it's because there, there can be an explosion. Uh, but that's what God is capable of. And I think a lot of us are going, man, I'm kind of worn down. I haven't really been to church in a while. I haven't really seen God moving a lot. But I tell you what, all of us are here tonight because we're hungry. Are you hungry? I'm starving. I am hungry. And it's just like I saw it is that the, the word of my spirit is ignite. We have to ignite. And it's kind of like you can have a beautiful car, a car that's sitting there and has all the equipment and is ready to go and is working correctly. But until you turn the ignition, it changes the game. Might keep you out of the rain before the ignition. You know what I mean? Might play some, play some music with the battery. But once you turn that ignition, it's just nothing is stopping you. And I know that that's what God, God is going to do for you. And of course, because I don't want this to be a completely secular message, I have a scripture around Mark 6.30-ish. Um, that's actually, so twice in the Bible, Jesus um, takes the fish, the, the five loaves and the two fish, and he just expands them just miraculously. And it, it happened twice, but in Mark, he lists it. It doesn't mention the sweet little boy that brought it. Um, but he just takes it, and all the, all the disciples are totally bewildered because they recognize, like, they have nothing. They don't even expect to have anything. It's, it's not expected of them. But he's just like, well, just bring it. And guys, it's not rocket science. That's what I love about Jesus' attitude. I love almost his flippance and his question. What are we going to do, guys? You ever feel like God's asking that? What are you going to do about it? Man, that's serious. It's too bad. What's going on at work? What are you going to do? But I really think it's, Lord, I'm going to bring what I have. I am going to bring my 10%. I'm going to be on my game. I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be in the spirit. And I'm going to be ready for the opportunity for my 10% to be taken 90% more by you. And so Jesus takes the loaves and the fish, and he just keeps breaking. And it just keeps showing up. And it just keeps showing up. And it just keeps showing up. And that's what's going to happen in everybody's lives. And I know that because he told me it's going to happen in my pathetic life. And I tell you what, there's nothing, more, there's nothing special about me. There's nothing. And so the Lord instructed me today, which has taken a little bit of guts, but he said, I want you to pray for the room. And if you want to be ignited, if you want to feel a start, raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you. Because God, it says he's given, he's anointed us. In true hillbilly fashion, I have had Jeremiah uh, tattooed on my back, where it says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Because I always feel like, what do I have to give, God? Who am I to do this? And it's because the spirit of the Lord is upon all of us. Because he has anointed us to set the captives free. So if you want to be ignited, I'm here to do it. And God is going to work through me. So raise your hand and let's pray. Father God, thank you that you see each and every hungry heart in this building, Father God. I just pray for an ignition in Jesus' name. Lord God, that you would touch them, that you would stir. I see a stirring happening in their heart, in their mind. Lord Jesus, stir up gifts, stir up opportunities. Bring divine moments of revelation in the right moment. When they don't know what to say, Lord Jesus, I pray that Holy Spirit, you fill their mouth with the right words. I speak blessing and fulfillment and boldness over the body of Christ in Jesus' name that we will rise up to the top as soon as we have the opportunity in this dark time, Jesus. Thank you for this dark time. We don't run in fear. We're not scared. We're not sad. We are rejoicing for what you are doing in your body. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. That was a powerful word. Ignition. Ignition. That's good. I don't know about you, but I've been encouraged so far, and I hope I don't screw all this up that the Lord is already doing tonight in us. 
Oh, man. It's so good to be here with y'all. Isn't this great to be in church again? Amen. I love all of you very much. I'm blessed to be your pastor. You too, Stephen. Friend of years, friend of tears. We've been friends since we were 10 years old. So it's like five years now. Wow, that's awesome. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 24. Isaiah 65, verse 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. He needs to hear from you, doesn't he? He wants to hear from you. But before you call, he's got the answer. It just needs you to call. And even while you're speaking, he's in this moment with you. He's in the right now moment. He's not somewhere in the future, and hopefully your prayer will end up on his desk someday. He's in it, hearing you while you're speaking right now. That's good to know that it's, he's a very present God, isn't it? Very present, very personal, and a God who is a God who gives answers, who answers our call, who answers our prayers. I'm grateful to God for that. There's a, a missionary by the name of Dr. Helen Rosevere. She was a missionary to Africa, and she told the story about a mother who had died at their mission after giving birth to a premature baby girl. And um, so, so they quickly tried to get an incubator set up for this baby. And, uh, and uh, their, you know, their supplies were pretty primitive. And the only available hot water bottle that they had was beyond repair. So during devotions that morning, um, the children were asked to pray for the baby and her older sister. And uh, this little girl prayed. She said, dear God, send a hot water bottle today because tomorrow will be too late and the baby will be dead. And dear Lord, if you would please also bring a baby doll for her sister so she won't feel so lonely. Well, that afternoon, a large package showed up. And this package showed up from a a women's ministry group um, out of England It was just like five or six women who put a care package together and sent it to this mission. And uh, as they opened up the box, the children all gathered around to see what was in there. And under some clothing was, sure enough, a brand new hot water bottle. And immediately the little girl who prayed, she said, if God can do that, then surely he can also bring the doll too. And sure enough, there was a doll, one doll in there that they gave to her sister. And five months earlier, these ladies had been praying and asking the Lord, what should we send? What should we send? And so based upon what they sensed the Lord telling them to do, this is what they put together. As the one who knows what lies ahead, the Lord works even in the past to bring about blessings for his children's future. Isn't that something? As you consider, think about maybe you're, you might be in a situation today where it may seem that the Lord is asking you to do something illogical. But you may think, you know, I've, I've asked him that. Lord, why, 
why are you saying this to me? Is this really you when you know it is him, but you don't understand it, so you still have to question, you know? And uh, like the time I saw Derek preaching down in Dallas, you know, he was our everything here at our church. And I just saw a flash one Sunday morning and closed my eyes for just a second. I saw him standing behind the pulpit in that church in Dallas preaching. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Well, they're pastor in that church now and have been for several years now. But because, you know, sometimes you might not see the need uh, for that thing that maybe the Lord is prompting you in, but somebody's praying, somebody's calling out. And uh, remember that uh, what you do today could be the answer to someone's prayers tomorrow. Yeah. Have faith in God. Turn to somebody and tell them, have faith in God. Hmm? Let the one who holds the past, the present, and the future handle things. I mean, let him be your guide because the Bible says the Spirit will guide you into all truth and he will show you things to come. I love that. I want to be used more and more like that from the Lord. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. And uh, I, I love the way God shows his uh, eternalness in, in this. You know, the, Job says that the Lord says, I declare the end from the beginning. He declares the end from the beginning. He calls those things that be not as though they were because he is an eternal God. Yeah. Right. And he invites us all by faith to tap into that eternal reality. Yeah. Right that works past, present, future. This is glorious. I want to go to one last scripture. This is Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30. Now, did I say Genesis 30? Yeah, I did. And that's exactly right. So th this is somewhere in the middle of Jacob's life. He has, Joseph has just been born and uh, to Rachel, the, the, the wife that he really loved. And, uh, and so his, you know, his quiver's full. He's got 11 kids now. And he's ready to leave working for his father-in-law, Laban, who deceived him over and over again and tricked Jacob all the time. I don't really quite understand why Jacob's always called the trickster when it seems like everybody else around him is actually the ones that are de the deceivers because God keeps blessing Jacob. But, you know, legalism and religion has taught us something awful about Jacob. If he was such a deceiver, why is God blessing him so much? Why does God say, Esau have I hated, Jacob have I loved? Maybe we ought to see this from God's perspective. <laughs> So but Jacob comes to his father-in-law Laban. He says, I, I need to go. I'm ready to go back home. I want to take my family. I want to provide for my, my own family now. And of course, Laban's like, listen, I see the writing on the wall, Jacob. I have increased because of you, because you're in my life. The Lord has blessed me because the blessing of the Lord is on you. I want you to stay. I, yeah, I mean, wouldn't, of course. I mean, if you, you're that boss and that guy's bringing increase to your business, you say you're going to do whatever you can to keep him, right? Okay. But he, Jacob's finally says, okay, all right. He says, what, can, what, what, what do you want me to pay you? And Jacob says, all right, here's the deal. And so he makes this deal about the, the livestock. And he wants to separate the spotted and the striped from the others. And, um, and says, and that'll be my wages. But I want you to look at verse 33 in particular. As I was reading over this, I've been doing this, this study, and I, I'm going to be doing a series somewhere down the road on righteousness. The Lord has shown me a lot of new things about the righteousness of God. And uh, just some new lights have come on from me. And I'm, I'm very excited to share some of these things. But this is one of those things, those places that I got to in Scripture that just... 
I just sat and parked there and the Lord began to reveal things. 30, 33. Can we bring that up? Genesis 30, 33. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. So he's telling his father-in-law this, right? My righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. But this is what stood out, that my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Now, if we're going to apply this theologically to us, what are our wages? What does the Bible say our wages were? The wages of sin is death. But when the subject of our wages comes before him, our righteousness speaks on our behalf. Our righteousness answers for us. This is why the Bible says that in the day of judgment, we can have boldness. This is what God's plan is for you. This is how righteous he's made you that on judgment day, the scariest day ever imaginable to man is going to be the day where his children will stand bold on judgment day. And our righteousness will speak on our behalf concerning our wages. Here's what righteousness says. Christ died for my sins. So I don't have to die from my sins. Amen. Amen. His righteousness speaks on my, on my behalf right now. And I stand here holy and blameless and above reproach in your sight, God, because of your son. Not by works of righteousness that I've done, but by his mercy. Mm-mm-mm. And the word says that we will have boldness in the day of judgment. The word boldness in the Greek literally means freedom in speaking. Wow. You'd think every mouth would be quivering and try to stay shut on the day of judgment, right? Just don't say anything. <laughs> don't say anything else. He already knows everything. Right? No, we have freedom in speaking. And our freedom in speaking is our boldness, our confidence, and everything is in the seated. What, how, do you, how do you write that again? The seated at the right hand son. I love that. Such a good line. The seated at the right hand side. Aren't you grateful for Jesus tonight? So because of him, your righteousness speaks on your behalf. Your righteousness answers for you. Amen. Praise God. So this has already come to pass because the word says that we who have believed on him have already passed from death into life. <laughs> it's already given the answer. We're not even there. But the answer is there. The answer is there. Listen, pray and ask the Lord to show you because just this is how our God works and he wants to use you in these very unique ways. You know, in this time, just, just pray, Lord, show me. I, I, it doesn't have to necessarily make sense to me. Lead me by your spirit. I want to bring your answer to somebody who's calling out. Amen. I want to see the miracles. Amen. Praise God. Father, we want to thank you and praise you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for these wonderful preachers tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the richness of your word, the, the anointing of the Spirit of God that is upon your word. Your word is life to those who find it. Your word is health to all of our flesh, and we invite your word to take full effect tonight. Amen. Amen. We thank you, God, 
We thank you, Lord, that we get the full strength of Calvary. <laughs> we don't just get a Band-Aid put over that ancient disease of sin. We have the full strength of Calvary. And that is, we are forgiven, we are healed, we are blessed, amen. We are, we are blessed of God. We are rich in Him. Hallelujah. We are sons of the living God. Thank you, Father, for that tonight. Thank you for the position that we have in Christ. And in Him and through Him are all things. And to Him be glory in the church throughout all the ages, throughout all the world, in Jesus' name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done in every life here in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for restoring and rebuilding. Thank you for healing. Thank you, Lord, for the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard hearts and minds in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And we cling to you tonight. We thank you for your joy, that it's unspeakable. It's full of glory. Thank you, Father God that these days of unrest and uncertainty, we stand strong in the Lord, as Crystal said, and in the power of his might. And we, we declare the kingdom of God upon the earth in Jesus' name, as it is in heaven. Let it be here. Thank you, Lord, for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God, even now in this time in the world. Thank you that you've called us to be those in the earth, that the earth is groaning and trembling for. Thank you, Father God. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and all of your house and be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.